You're listening to AIB Market Talk with our latest financial market update. Hello and welcome to this week's Market Talk. Today is Tuesday, the 12th of February. My name is Tom Hall, Head of Treasury Sales, and today I'll be joined by Oliver Mangan, AIB's Chief Economist. This week we're going to talk about the uh, economic updates received last week from the Bank of England and from our Eurozone peers, and then we'll move on to talk about Brexit. But first off, let's go to the Euroland, uh, Ollie. Uh, growth revised down by half percent across the Eurozone last week. Kind of expected, but what's driving it? Is it US-China trade tensions, or is there some fundamental uh, problems in the Central European Union? Yes, uh the European Commission, you know, really slashed its forecast for the eurozone this year, uh, 1.9% up until recently, now down to 1.3%. And really, it's a recognition of what's been going on in the eurozone economy. These forecasts are revised every six months. And what we've seen the second half of last year has been a marked deceleration in the pace of growth uh, in the eurozone. Uh, and actually, we got figures last week showing the eurozone economy just grew by 0.2% in the f- fourth quarter. That was the same as in the third quarter. If you go back a year ago, the eurozone economy was knocking out growth rates of 0.7% every quarter. So that's quite a slowdown. It has, when you look at the figures and break it down, um, the eurozone exports have lost a lot of momentum. So um, is that China? It is largely China and it's slowed down in global growth. And I think the European Commission put it quite well, saying we're a bit unfortunate in the sense that our exports are going to markets which actually have slowed a lot in the last 12 months. So the composition of European exports and what they're talking about there is particularly German exports to China. And when you look at the various countries, the countries that were marked down most were obviously um, Germany and the Netherlands, reflecting their export performance, much weaker, and also obviously Italy because of the ongoing political crisis there, the rising interest rates, etc., and there have been other factors at work as well. I mean, these new car emission standards have held back production in Germany. They've referenced the problems in uh, Italy as well. But overall, uh, it was no surprise. The data have been very weak in the second half of the year. And on top of that, the data we have for 2019, for January, that weakness has continued into the early part of, two th- of this year. So, so no uh, great uh, surprise so, in the John So we've seen the market has um, rallied in terms of interest rate. Bond markets have rallied, so interest rates have, have fallen. Um, and the hedging for our customers uh, and other people out there in the economy, it's around about you know three or four basis points over zero at the moment. Um, yet the 2020 forecast was left unchanged. So where's the tension here? Is this a great time for customers to be looking at uh, hedging interest rate risk? Yeah, well, uh, we can not just look at the European Commission. The Bank of England actually lowered its forecast for the UK economy last week uh, for 2019. And like the European Commission, it actually left its 2020 and 2021 forecasts unchanged. So I think the official forecasters believe this will be a temporary slowdown in economic activity. They're looking at very low interest rates. They're looking at fiscal policy being slightly expansionary. They're looking at the strength in labour markets. They're looking at rising wage growth. And they feel that the foundations are there for a renewed strengthening of economic activity later this year, particularly if we can get a US-China trade deal concluded, which would take a lot of uncertainty out of the markets. But I have to say, financial markets, particularly bond markets, don't sound as convinced because, as you said, we've had sharp declines in long-term interest rates relative to short-term interest rates, a flattening of the curve. And you can see in Germany, for example, 10-year bond yields are down to 0.1%. You go back six months ago, they were 06 07 If you go to Japan, 
you know, the 10-year bond yield has gone negative again. We hope we're past that at this stage. So bond markets are more worried that this could be a prolonged slowdown in economic activity. They're concerned the U.S. economy could slow this year, adding to the weakness in the glo- in global demand. So they're not as optimistic, uh, and they're certainly hedging their bets here that uh, the official forecasters' predictions that growth will strengthen later on in the year uh, we'll see pick up momentum in 2020, 2021. The fundamentals of the economies are strong, etc. Bond markets uh, and interest markets are doubtful in that regard. And uh, as you say, there's been a sharp flattening in uh, yield curves. So in terms of hedging, it's obviously not as attractive to hedge in the sense that if, if these rates stay lower for longer, uh, what's the need to hedge? But uh, if you look at the official forecasters, they're saying, um, no, we think this is a temporary slowdown activity. It will pick up later on in the year. Okay, and then if we're looking out into Q3, Q4, what are the the things that we're going to see that would uh, support the official view that 19 is a slowing, we're not tipping over, and then from here we're going to move on? Is it is it PMIs? I mean, we've got unemployment rates generally in the major world at very, very low rates. So that's not going to be, we're not going to see no. a huge jump from here. So what are I we think, going to be looking for? I think what you're looking for is, firstly, an unwinding of factors that have depressed economic activity in recent times. And I'd list them things like Brexit. If we get a resolution to Brexit, if not by the end of March, let's say by June. If we got this uh, US-China trade deal agreed. If the car emission standards, if those problems were resolved in terms of the way they've impacted car production in Europe. So uh, they would all be positive factors in terms of business sentiment uh, for financial markets. And then in terms of watching key indicators, I think the absolute most important key indicators to watch are the purchasing managers' indices. Because these tell you exactly what's going on uh, in economic activities at the present time and also give you a steer in terms of what's going to happen three, six months down the road. Because within these indices, there are things like stock levels, new orders, export orders, which are good lead indicators of activity. So I think anybody who watches currencies or interest rates or financial markets will be well advised to pay close attention to the survey indicators, the PMI surveys. And we know over the last 20, 30 years, they've been excellent at picking the turning points and cycles. So f- f- you're right. I mean, we still get good payrolls in the US, but like labour market data are lagging. And particularly when labour markets are tight, employers are going to be slow to, to lay off workers. So, you know, you won't see the lead signals in places like the labour market, but you will see it in sentiment surveys, in new orders, in purchase management indices, in things like uh, the trackers of uh, container traffic. Uh, so they're the type of indicators that will give you a steer in terms of where the economy is going to go later on in the year. That's excellent. So we're looking for maybe Q3, Q4, those those PMIs to tick up, and maybe that's the opportunity to, to dip in and uh, do some of your interest rate hedging if if the current levels yeah, are attractive and, to you. And what I say to people is these markets can move quickly. I mean, these bond yields have come down fairly rapidly in recent months. If economic activity backs up again, picks up again, well, then these bond yields can rise again fairly sharply. So uh, I would say watch the lead indicators, and if they start to show strength, well, then that would be an opportunity in terms of uh, hedging for future increases in interest rates. Very good. Now, at the end of March, we'll get, it's been the end of February, we'll get some uh, movement in the uh, US-China uh, trade talks, hopefully. Or we're going to end up with a very nasty tariff regime. We're not going to talk about those this week, Ollie. We're expecting very little movement this week on that. So I'm going to take you on to our favourite topic at the moment, Brexit. And what is Theresa May likely to bring back to the House of Commons this Wednesday the 13th, what's she going to be saying to them? 
What she's going to say is we've reopened discussions with the European Commission in relation to the withdrawal agreement and we're trying to find resolutions uh, in terms of the backstop that would prove acceptable to the House of Commons. Those discussions are at an early stage and are ongoing. I need more time here. I really think that nothing much will happen this week. I mean, Theresa May addresses the House tomorrow, uh, that's Wednesday, to update the House. There is this possibility that we could see some motions or amendments in relation to ruling out a hard Brexit. Sorry, uh, on, in, in, on, the, on, the, on Thursday. On Thursday, yeah, it's possible yeah. we go back to where we were two weeks ago yeah. in the House where uh, there are a number of amendments, the Yvette Boyles, there was uh, the Dominic Greaves, yeah. etc., came through and said, but none of them were carried at the time. Yeah. So we're going to have the same pantomime this week as people try to wrestle between parties, trying to find a core common ground in House of Parliament to what, extend Article 50? Yeah, but they might not even bother this week, Tom. I think it's more likely uh, the real action will happen maybe towards the end of the month. She's starting negotiations. It's probably a reasonable request from her point of view to say, listen, uh, I've taken on board the motion that was passed here. There's difficulties, we have difficulties with the backstop. I need another couple of weeks to try kind of bring something back here that would prove acceptable to the, to the Ollie, house. It's getting so late. I mean, it industry, is, yeah. we know ourselves as AIB, as a financial institution, the amount of planning and level of detail we're into now. We, you know, we, we're spending fortunes, our customers are spending fortunes. Are we really going to push it out for another couple of weeks at this stage? Well, I, I think it's looking inevitable to me at this stage that we're going to have to have an extension to Article 50. In other words, delay Brexit by a number of months. Even if the UK and the EU manage to make changes uh, and they're passed to the, EU, the UK Parliament in the next two or three weeks, there simply won't be sufficient time there to uh, pass what's called the enabling legislation, secretary legislation in the House of Commons. It's getting harder and harder with the best will in the world to see a deal being put together or amendments to a deal that will prove acceptable to the House of Commons that gets voted through. Then it's got to go through the European Parliament. Secondary legislation has to be implemented. It's getting harder and harder to see that being done by the end of March. So I think a delay is looking increasingly likely, uh, even if a deal is uh, passed by the House of Commons in two, three, four weeks' time. Uh, they still have they've got to go then through the committee stage, and that takes some time. So, I mean, there is a window there of three months in terms of extending Brexit. They have to UK would have to formally request that, but it wouldn't have any major impact. The European Parliament elections are in May, but it doesn't reconvene until July. So, there's certainly a window there that it can be quite easily done, extended from March to June. And especially if the UK says, "Okay, we accept the deal, but we need some time here to ratify it and go through the parliamentary process." that wouldn't prove a difficulty for the European Parliament and for the European politicians to grant that extension to Article 50. So uh, it's, you know, I think this is going to go into March, to be quite honest. And uh, I think we're probably a bit away yet in terms of the UK uh, ratifying the withdrawal agreement or the UK Parliament ratifying the withdrawal agreement. So this uncertainty is going to persist uh, for a number of weeks yet. Okay, Ollie, thank you very much for that. So, global uh, markets are uh, rallying, the bond markets are rallying on the back of weaker economic data, but the authorities are still holding to their 2020 view that this is a mild slowdown, despite all we've talked about. You know, we've talked about the the consumption in central Germany. We've talked about the re-engineering production lines in, in the car manufacturing industry. We've got Brexit. We've got China and the US. We're still saying these are, uh, in the aggregate, a blip, and uh, we'll go sideways in 19 before we... we uh, gathering growth in uh, 2020. So possibility for rates to uh, to rise in the back end of the year. 
Brexit pushed out for a little bit longer. The market seems to be very sanguine about the whole thing, and euro sterling is stuck at 87.5 where it's been for the last two weeks whilst, uh, whilst we waited for uh, Mrs. May to go back and talk to her German and European counterparts. So thank you, Ollie, and thank you to our listeners for joining us this week. You can subscribe to ARB Market Talk on SoundCloud or the podcast apps for IS or Android. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of AIB Market Talk. Allied Irish Bank's PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. First Trust Bank is a trademark of AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Allied Irish Bank GB and Allied Irish Bank GB Savings Direct are trademarks used under licence by AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority.